Hey, this is Dr. Mike Barnett. It is an awesome privilege to fill the pulpit every Sunday at the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Having you listen to our messages on this podcast is an incredible blessing as well. And I pray that you will be encouraged in the Lord as you listen. It is vital that you commit yourself and your family to the Lord through the ministry of a local church. While it is a great blessing to have you listen to our messages, no one will be able to minister the Word of God to you or your family like a local pastor. So please do not consider this podcast as a replacement for your presence in your local church on Sunday. Be faithful, get connected, and God bless. are back on. Now I know what I'm going to preach on. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. We will begin with verse 15. If you are visiting with us today, we are preaching through 2 Peter. We've already finished 1 Peter, and the logical step was to go to 2 Peter. And... Um, we live in a time when truth is on the chopping block. Whether it be in education or whether it be in the church, certainly whether or not it be in politics, truth is on the chopping block. And as a Christian church committed to Christ and His Word, we certainly need to stand true to the truth of God's Word and on it. It is the theme of 2 Peter, bearing the truth of God in trying times when truth is on the chopping block. This chapter that we've been in for several weeks, chapter 2, has painted a photo, uh, taken a photograph of false teachers for us, painted a picture thus far, and we saw in the first few verses the cancellation of false doctrine and false teachers that teach contrary to the Word of God, whoever and wherever they may be, but mainly with, even within the church. What do they try to cancel? We live in a cancel culture. It's everywhere you go. And we saw that false doctrine will always cancel redemption through the shed blood of Christ, and it will cancel, if it can, the Lordship of Christ. That's what it tries to do. And then we moved on, and we saw the character of false teachers, their character. What are they really like? And then we looked at their converts, the people that follow after them. And then last week we closed out with their condemnation, how condemned they are before God because they have forsaken the way of truth. But today we begin with what is the conclusion of false teaching and false doctrine. Where does it all lead? And uh, what, why is true biblical doctrine so important these days. We live in a day when the young who are unbelievers, uh, well, let me just tell you this way, used to certain issues in our country, whether it be sexuality or, or uh, marriage or what have you, even uh, political issues, doctrinal issues, the 
When I first started preaching, people would say, well, we're really unclear about what the Bible says. And that wasn't too bad because at least they had some idea that the Bible needed to have authority in their life. And then it moved forward and it came to this idea that, uh, well, uh, the Bible really doesn't say that. The Bible's um, just not uh, right on that. And today, you know what young people say about Bible doctrine? It doesn't matter. Doesn't make any difference. Doesn't matter. I had a young guy email me the other day and ask me what I thought about creation. Well, I quoted in the text Genesis and said, that's what I think. That's the only thing I have a right to think. I don't have a right to think anything else. If Jesus is Lord, you've got to believe His Word. And uh, he said, well, I just don't think it matters. I just don't think it matters. And that's permeating our country, folks. Let me tell you what happened in Uvalde, Texas. I grew up not too far from Uvalde. I used to deer hunt in Uvalde. That's just good hill country Texas is what that is, good people. But you know what? When you consistently tell a generation after generation, kill the babies before they're born, it really doesn't matter. God did not create you. You came out of an ooze, your ooze out of a pond. It really doesn't matter. What do you think they're going to, how do you think they're going to treat one another? And what do you think they're going to do? And I want to tell you, a lot of this stuff doesn't fall at the feet of Remington and Winchester. I'll tell you where it falls. It falls at the feet of false doctrine that's permeated our country and even has come from many of our pulpits. Amen. We've told our preachers, shut up, stay out of politics, and look where we are. Well, that's the first sermon. Now it's time to get to our text. A concise and very telling phrase about false doctrine and false teaching which is across the gamut in our country today begins with verse 15. Talking about false teachers, false doctrine, it says, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb donkey speaking with the man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity... They allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, worldliness, sinfulness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. Verse 15 says that false doctrine and those who purport it have forsaken the right way and are gone astray. That's two definitions, two explanations that I want to cover real quickly about false teachers, whether it be the televangelists who have the name it, claim it doctrine, whether it be the uh, local pastor who denies that Jesus is the only way to heaven, whether it be uh, the Sunday school teacher who's just not quite sure about whether the Bible is God's word or not, whether it be the professor in a classroom somewhere who teaches the vain philosophies of men, 
There's two things about them. First of all, they are deliberate in what they teach. They are deliberate in what they do. The word forsaken in the first part of verse 15 means to depart from. It's found throughout the whole New Testament. It's the same word that was used when Jesus approached Matthew, the tax collector, and said, Matthew, shut off your calculator, put your pencil down, and put away your files and follow me. And Matthew, the Bible says, forsook his tax table and followed Jesus. It was a deliberate act by Matthew to follow Jesus. Well, those who purport false teaching contrary to the Word of God get to the point where they deliberately forsake the truth of God. And it is a deliberate action. Even though they may not start out that way, they come to the point where they realize what they're teaching does not work, but it certainly does gratify their sinful flesh and they stay with it, therefore they are deliberate. The second thing this truth tells us is, is they have gone astray. That's what verse 15 says. This verb is passive. Something leads them astray. Last week we looked at this word in previous verses and we learned something that is really denied today. You know, you don't control really your own way. You are guided and directed by something. It's called conscience. And if your conscience is filled with the Word of God, it will, it will drive you and lead you to go a certain way. If your conscience is, is filled with uh, something else, maybe entertainment values, it will drive you in a certain way. And if you let whatever you hear and whatever you hear get into your conscience, true or false, it will direct you and drive you in a certain way. Well, false teachers usually, according to 2 Peter are driven by their own lust. We read in this chapter, there's three things that false teachers have, especially those in the religious field. They are driven by money, they are driven by sex, or they're driven by pride and prestige. And that's what drives them. And that's what Second Peter tells us. And it ends up in a very dark world for them and all those who follow after them. And that's the heart of the message when he gets into the remaining portion. So let's look at verses 15 and 16. And I want to show you the prototype for false teachers. You never heard, you know what a prototype is? If you invent something and you take it uh, to get your patent, you have a prototype. And that prototype might be a miniature of the, of the real thing, but it's supposed to work on scale and, and have all the bells and whistles that you want in the original invention, and, and it's called the prototype. Well, God has a prototype for us false teachers, and He's one of the most unique characters in all of history and certainly in all of the Bible. And false teachers all have Him in common. They follow after Him. They imitate Him. And his name is Balaam. That was his name, Balaam. Look at verse 15. Following the way of Balaam. Now, Balaam is mentioned three times in the New Testament. In our text, we find the way of Balaam. In the book of Jude, verse 11, you find the error of Balaam. In Revelation chapter 2, when the Lord is addressing the church at Pergamum, he mentions the doctrine of Balaam. And so real quickly today, I want to talk to you about those three things, and then I want to tell you about how empty the promises are 
of false doctrine and false teachers. So first of all, let's look at the way of Balaam. So if you have your Bibles, you got to go backward a little bit, go all the way back to the book of Numbers, and we're going to learn about Balaam for a little bit. All the way back to the book of Numbers, and that is the book of Numbers chapter 22. So turn with me, if you will. There, I think I got page 250 in the Pew Bible. You can grab that Pew Bible out, turn to page 250, and you're there. We're going to talk about Balaam for a little bit. And so the first thing I want to talk to you about is the way of Balaam. The Bible says in chapter 22 of Numbers, And the children of Israel set forward. Now they had just come out of Egypt, and uh, they were uh, guilty of unbelief, and, and they were going to have to wander around in the wilderness, but they're in their journeys, and the Bible says... And they came and they pitched in the plains of Moab on this side of Jordan by Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, isn't that amazing to have a name like Balak? Man, don't name your kids Balak. Name them Charles or something like that. But he named him Balak and saw that Israel, saw what Israel had done to other enemies. And Moab, Balak the king of Moab, and the whole nation was afraid because Israel were many, many people. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And so Moab said unto the elders of Midian, now he said, we, we got some trouble. We got to handle these Israelites. They're in mass coming upon us. What do we do? And verse 5 says, he sent messengers therefore to Balaam, the son of Beor to Pether, that's where he lived, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him and saying, Look, behold, there is a people who come out of Egypt, the Israelites, and they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse these people. See, Baal, Balaam was a prophet. And the king said, Curse these people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail, that we may smite them, and they may drive them out of the land. He said, But, uh, you know, I know who you bless will be blessed, so I want you to curse them. And so the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with rewards of divination. They took money with them, a lot of money to pay Balaam to do his divine work, his, his witchcraft and curse the land and people or the people of Israel. And it says, and they came to Balaam and they said, look, we want you to come curse Israel. Here's what we'll pay you. And Balaam says, well, give me a night. Let's sleep on it. I got to think about it. And he went and he asked the Lord and the Lord said, don't do it. Don't do it. And so Balaam came back and said, look, I, I'm not going to curse Israel. And they went away. Here he came back. They came back with more money. I'm not going to do it. Old Balaam even made a statement. He said, whatsoever the Lord puts in my mouth, that's what I'll speak. He sounded spiritual. But in Numbers 22, there is this aura, this air that... Balaam is just trying to manipulate and make merchandise of the situation and make more money. Does that sound like any TV preachers you know? Does that sound like any politicians you know? 
We're just going to manipulate this situation. And he held out. He held out. There is this overall cloud of deceit. But Balaam knew how to stretch it out. He looked good. He sounded good. In verse 17, he even made the statement. He said, look, whatsoever God says to me, that's what I'm going to speak. And all the while, he was figuring out. So that's the way of false teachers is to look spiritual, to even look biblical, to look real good, all the while it's their lust that is driving them. They just want more. And it's an amazing thing to me. People will flock to them, won't they? Huge crowds. They won't walk across the street to hear a faithful pastor tell them that Jesus saved. But they'll drive for miles and give hundreds of dollars to some guy who, who waves a sweaty handkerchief and says, God bless you. Isn't that an amazing thing? Making merchandise of these people. That's the way of Balaam. Well, Jude, verse 11, says, Woe unto them, almost word for word. says, For they've gone the way of Cain. They ran greedily after the error of Balaam. Talking about false teachers. He says they've gone after the error of Balaam. Well, the error of Balaam. Well, the story in Numbers 22 continues a little bit more. And it really gets interesting here. The story continues and Balaam decides, I've gotten about as much money as I can, so I've got to take this thing to the next level. And chapter 22 of Numbers and 21 says he decides to go with them. And he's all manipulating in his mind how he's going to get everything he can out of this situation and get away from cursing Israel. And look good to God and also look good to the king of Moab. And one of the most fascinating things happened. Peter says in our text that the Lord hindered him and his madness. The Bible describes Balaam as being mad. Now, the word is paraphronia. We get our uh, word um, paranoia from it. But he was mad with greed and lust and desire, what was driving him. And so, look what happened. And go to Numbers 22, and I want you to show you what he did. Verse 21. So Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his donkey. And he went with the princes of Moab. They finally came back a third time and he said, okay, let's go. He's going to make all that money and try to get more. So he saddled his donkey and off he goes. And the Bible says in verse 22, And God's anger was kindled because he went and the angel of the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, anytime you see that phrase, the angel of the Lord, it's always a pre-incarnate, before Bethlehem appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ on earth. So the Lord Jesus Christ himself stands in the way. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding upon his donkey with his two servants that were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way. And the angel of the Lord's sword was drawn in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the donkey to turn her into the way. 
But the angel of the Lord stood in a path of the vineyards, a wall being on this side and on that side. So there was no way to go around it. And the donkey halted and, and balked and probably reared up a little bit and, and, and went off to the side to, to try to get away from this frightening sight of the angel of the Lord. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself into the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, and he smote her again. He started beating that donkey again. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place, and there was no way to turn, either the right hand or the left hand. And the third time when the, angel of the, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he took his staff and started to beat the donkey. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said unto Balaam, now, Peter says the dumb donkey spoke to hinder and stop Balaam. Well, here it is, right here, Numbers 22. This is one of those texts you either got to decide you believe the Bible or you don't. Amen? Well, I believe the donkey spoke. And the Bible says the donkey said, What have I done unto you that you have beat me these three times? And Balaam said unto the donkey, well, you've mocked me. I would, there was a sword in my hand, and I would kill you. And the donkey said unto Balaam, I'm your donkey, upon which you've ridden ever since I was yours until this day. Was I ever one to do this unto you? Have I ever done this before? And Balaam said, no. Now, folks, that's real interesting. I don't think it's crazy that the donkey spoke. I think it's crazy that Balaam talked back. I think it's crazy that Balaam didn't back up. Amen? Didn't back up and say, what is going on here? I would have been nonplussed. Would you have been nonplussed? Unless you think animals talk. I mean, you know, and this isn't one of them pull things the cow says moo. This isn't one of that. This is a miracle of God, a miracle of God. And Balaam just casually said, no, you've never done this before. And then Balaam's, and, and then verse um, uh, 31 says, And the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face, and the angel of the Lord said unto him, this is verse 32, Wherefore hath you smitten your donkey these three times? Behold, I went out to withstand thee, because thy way is perverse before me. And the donkey saw me, turned from me these three times, and unless she had turned from me, surely now also I had slain you and saved her alive. In other words, Balaam, if your donkey hadn't stopped and gone off the path, I would have killed you and left the donkey alive. That's what the angel of the Lord said to Balaam. And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now therefore, if it displeased thee, I'll get back again. And the angel of the Lord said, You go. You go with the men. And you go stand before Israel and you do what I tell you to do. And that's what Balaam did. 
So while the way of Balaam is the way of greed, just get all you can out of people, make merchandise of them, and that's what false teachers do. The error of Balaam is to think you can harm God's people and not be hindered by God. Not have God put the brakes on at one time or another. And this is a remarkable, remarkable story and a remarkable true account in God's Word. Now, I know what some of you were thinking. You're saying, Preacher, I don't think it's so strange that we have a donkey talking in the Bible. We listen to one every Sunday. I know what you're thinking. we got a lot of guests here today, and, and uh, I just want to tell you this. Uh, I take it as a compliment. Let me tell you why. Years ago, I'm talking, me and Trace, Miss Tracy, we're in our early 20s. We hadn't been married long, and we were pastoring a church in northeast Texas. And we had a wonderful family in that church, well, a couple, an older couple named Kenneth and Zula. I can't remember their last, Thompson. Their last names were Thompson. It just came to me. They were the sweetest people. He was a cross-country truck driver. And when he was home, they would call us up and we would go fellowship with them at their at their small, on their small farm out in the country. And they were, they were a pastor's dream, supportive, complimentary, gracious, helpful, never a critical word, just, just good, solid Christian people in their local church. Kenneth and Zula Thompson. We loved them to death. And they'd have us out. Well, on their farm, they raised miniature donkeys. And they had two of them give birth. And so they had miniature, miniature donkeys. And they called us up and they said, come see the donkeys. And Miss Tracy said, oh, I, yes, let's go see the baby miniature donkeys. And so we got out there in that pasture looking over the fence. And they were bouncing around and playing. And I made a mistake. I said, what's their name? And Zula said, well, that one's name is such and such. But this one we named after you. <laughs> and his name is Mike. You remember that? His name is Mike. We're going to call him Mike. Well, Miss Tracy goes, oh. <laughs> well, the Bible says, be slow to take offense. And so I was slow for about 10 seconds. I wasn't offended. And then I got offended and I got sour in my heart. They named a donkey after me so we got in the truck to go home and Miss Tracy said wasn't little Mike cute <laughs> and I said you think so because they named and I didn't call it a donkey they named that after me they named it after me well I was like in my 20s Charles I was like in my 20s young you know and I was offended by that. But as I studied the Word of God and read about Balaam's story, you know what? I'm not so offended anymore. Because now I'm no longer in my early 20s. I'm still a preacher. I'm 57. And I'll soon be 58. If you want to know my birthday, I'll tell you if you plan on giving me something. But anyway, <laughs> I'll soon be 58. And I want to tell you what I've learned. I'd rather be a donkey preacher than a racehorse preacher. Let me tell you why. A donkey preacher will carry a burden for your, his people. 
a racehorse preacher, all they're going to do is carry a jockey. And the less he weighs, the better. Amen. A donkey preacher knows how to recognize the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this donkey did. A racehorse preacher, he's going to put on his skinny jeans and run right past Jesus. Amen or oh me. That's good preaching. Right? And I want to tell you something else. A donkey preacher is willing to take a beating for the cause of Christ. Racehorse preacher thinks he's too valuable for that. Amen? So I want to say to you graduates in a moment when they march in and all this, I want to tell you graduates, when you leave home and you go to work or you go to college, you graduate college and you have a family, you find yourself a Bible-preaching church with a donkey preacher. Now don't go up and ask him, are you a donkey or a racehorse? (laughs) Don't do that. Because he's not going to know what you're talking about and you're going to have to refer him to our YouTube channel and he don't have time to listen to me. But if you go find yourself a Bible preaching church and you sit there and you listen and you get your Bible out and you compare what he says to the Word of God, verse by verse, Bible preaching. Don't join a church because of the music. You like the music. Don't join a church because it's got this program or that program. If you get a Bible preaching donkey preacher, I want to tell you what, the music and the program will be okay too. Amen? That's my advice for the graduates. Mom and Daddy, can you say amen or oh me? But nonetheless, that was the error of Balaam thinking he could go after God's people to cause them harm and not be face-to-face with the Lord Jesus Christ. The third thing we see is the doctrine of Balaam. Look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. He's talking to the church at Pergamum. Now, this is inside the church. And he says inside the church, he says, Hey, I have a few things against you, church, because you, you have there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balaam to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. And that's exactly what happened. I won't tell you what they did. Numbers 22 says that when he got to the king, he got on top of a mountain, and Balaam looked over and saw the mass of Israel. And he said, let me go to another part of the mountain and see another section. And he got to another section, and he said, I cannot curse these people. If I do, God's going to get me. I can't curse these people. And so, Balaam said to the king, but I tell you what you do. Send some of your Moabite women into the camp and you seduce the Israelite men. Bring your foreign gods with you into the Israelite camp. Bring all your paganism with you and appeal to their sinful flesh and their drive for passion." And bring them on down morally, and Israel will be cursed. That's called the doctrine of Balaam. Appeal not to the intellect in your preaching and teaching, but appeal to the flesh and appeal to the emotions. And you'll pack the house because that's what people want. Timothy, Paul told Timothy... In the last days, teachers will heap to themselves people, listeners, having itching ears. 
They don't want to hear about how sinful sin is and the need to repent. They want to be appealed to on the emotional level so their flesh, whether it's money, sex, prestige, or what have you, can be gratified. And that's called the doctrine of Balaam. And it went from the way a man was walking to an error that fostered in his heart to the very doctrine that he would teach to people to bring about their downfall. That's how false teaching and teachers work. But I want you to notice something real quick as we close out here in just a few minutes. Verse 17 of 2 Peter 2, all the way back to 2 Peter, we see their promises. Jude gives us a similar description of false teachers. Jude, the whole book of Jude and 2 Peter chapter 2 are almost identical. And Jude says, these false teachers are spots in your feast of love. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit wherewith without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame, wandering stars, a wandering star, you, 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 you look at it to find a way to go, to find an answer, to find a solution for your life, but it's a falling star. You look at the cloud to find nourishment or rain, but it's a cloud without rain. That's what false doctrine is, false teaching. But that's what they promise. They will promise to meet your every need, to satisfy you. And they go after your felt needs. They go after your felt needs. One thing I've learned in my tenure of, of being a, a, an expository preacher of God's Word is this. I don't have a clue what you need. I don't even know what I need. The Bible says the heart is deceptive. Who can know it? I don't know what you need, but I do know this. We all need this book. We all need the teaching of this book, and we need the Savior that's in this book. And we need the Holy Spirit whom the Savior will give to us when we trust Him. And we need the wisdom of God because we ourselves are sinners and cannot guide our own way. But when we turn to false doctrine, it's like clouds without water and they make empty promises. So first of all, the promise of the false teachers is they're empty. A dry land, desert, water is precious, but here there's no water. They appear to be artesian wells that are just going to flow out, but really it's all flowing in and it's greed. But I want you to notice something else, and this is very pertinent for our day. This is a, this is a, it's an amazing thing. The other night I was able to talk to a, a, my, one of my old college roommates. I hadn't talked to him in a number of years. He lives over in Georgia and he's, he's an evangelist. He, he, he works for the Georgia Baptist Convention and, and um, we were talking. He said, Mike, I want to ask you a question. He said, what and how much has changed since you started preaching. And I had to think about that for a while. Even in my short tenure of preaching, things have changed. People's problems are more complex. People's issues are deeper now than they ever have been. People are empty 
People are confused. We lack discernment. There's not a lot of wisdom out there for daily living. And I can't put, put a finger on unless their churches aren't preaching the Bible or unless they aren't students of the Word of God themselves. I don't know. But I want to tell you, we are fertile ground for false doctrine and false teaching today in America than we ever have been. It's what you can see happening in our country, folks. It's an incredible thing. The violence, the hate, the vitriol. Look how far we have come in the last 25 to 30 years. Look at what, what's happening to our young people. 70% of them, when they graduate high school, have nothing to do with the church, although they grew up in church. What is going on? And then many of them follow after false teaching and false doctrine. Peter tells us how that works real quickly. I want you to look at something. Look at verse 18. Their promises are not only empty, they're also exploitative. Tell your young people, there are teachers, whether in pulpits across our land, in ministries, podcasts, social media, classrooms, they simply want to exploit you for their own cause, and they will not teach you the truth of God. Now, I thank God for good professors and good teachers and great pastors who preach the Bible, don't you? I mean, we need to be thankful for them and encourage them, but they're... Folks, they're facing hard times, just like we will. But I want you to see, look at verse 18, and you see something about these people. It says, the false teachers speak great swelling words of empty vanity. They're empty. In other words, they appeal to the emotion. They're just like alcohol or a drug. Get you high gets you in a state of feeling that is beyond and outside of what's real and what's, what you've got to face, gets you on that emotional high, make you feel good about themselves. But I want to tell you something, Monday morning always rolls around, doesn't it? It always comes back. That problem never leaves. You never have a solution. But you sure did feel good for a while. And they allure you through the lust of the flesh. They, they appeal to your flesh, your sinful desires. And he says, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. Now, what does that mean? Peter is talking about the individual which there are many today. I meet them often. They are void in life. They have encountered a situation perhaps in their personal experience that has brought them to despair and discouragement and they are down. Or they are somebody who is struggling with something. Maybe an addiction. Maybe they're struggling with a personality problem, a psychological issue, maybe mental illness. And they're struggling with something. And they, they are down distraught. Maybe they are in life in bad shape, a financial burden, a financial problem. They are in dire straits physically in this world. Maybe it's a sickness, a physical sickness. 
And then there are those who are steeped in sin. They just have sin and they need to repent from their sin. And the Bible says they are, they, they are those, verse 18, they are escaped from them who live in error. And that sounds like a terrible thing, but it's really a good thing because you know what they've done? They've looked around and they've seen that what they're doing in life does not work. It's in error and it's not helping or they look at other people, and they, maybe they look uh, to different subgroups or self-help groups, and they realize, this isn't working. What they're teaching me doesn't work. Or maybe they are in a Bible-preaching church, but they don't apply the truth of God to their lives by simple obedience to the Word of God. And they're discouraged, and they get away. They, they want to escape from those who are teaching them error. And they're vulnerable. And in comes the false teachers and the false doctrine with swelling words. Words that just make them feel so good. Oh, it's okay if you desire these things. You deserve these things. Instead of the principles of the Word of God, they appeal to the flesh, the sinful flesh. And intellectually, it weakens them. Emotionally, that's what drives them. Spiritually, it is void of any redemption and reconciliation to God. And Peter says, that is the conclusion of false doctrine. That's what happens to the followers of those who purport false doctrine and false teaching. And Peter tells us in verse 17 to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. He's talking about hell. False doctrine will not only lead you to despair on earth, but I want to tell you what, it'll lead you to hell in eternity. We need the Lord Jesus Christ to be preached in our country, in our pulpits. We need to call people to repentance like the old timers did, to call them to repentance for sin. I mean, folks, listen, these days, uh, it's amazing what, what we call sin. We call it a mistake. We call it cohabitation. It's nothing for kids who've grown up in church. Now, I'm just going to tell you what I used to call it when I was a young, undignified preacher. Now they're shacking up. Huh? It's called fornication. It's called adultery. And it's sin. And it won't help your marriage in the future whatsoever. As a matter of fact, it'll bring problems into your marriage you can only imagine. And so, that's what they do. And they just try one thing new after another when they need to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you something. Do you want peace? Do you want joy? Do you want patience in your life? Do you want strength? Do you want emotional stability? Read Galatians 5. That's the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And it's only found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's only found when you turn to Him in obedience. And He'll fill you with His Spirit. And that fruit can be yours. Don't follow the false doctrines of men and, and false teachers who just are trying to do what Balaam did and make merchandise of you. Follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. Be a student of the Word of God. Day by day. 
Read and study the Word of God. Pray. Follow the Lord. Serve Him. And that's how you turn your situations and your problems over to Him. You don't just try to figure out some self-help book. You get in the Word of God and obey it. That's how you solve your problems. I encourage you to do so. Amen and amen. Let's stand for our song of appeal. As we bow our heads in prayer, would you, would you just pray for a few moments? Let me ask you this question. Are you 100% certain today that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? If you can't answer that with a strong affirmative, I want to tell you what, you need Jesus Christ as your Savior. You need to be born again. And only Jesus, nobody else promises to do that. Only the God of the Bible, only Jesus can give you new birth. Jesus said, if you even want to just see the kingdom of God, if you just want to look out over its ramparts, you have to be born again. And you can have Jesus in your heart. It's not to say all your problems will go away right off the bat, but I want to tell you what, you'll have the solver living within you and guiding you, and he's the solution. And ere long you will live for him and have the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the fruit in your life of the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's another decision you didn't make. We're here to help you. Cole and I will be up front as we sing this song. We'll be waiting for you, and you come as the Lord leads. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for its guidance it gives us. Thank you for that old donkey, Lord, back then that set Balaam straight, Lord, and stopped him from cursing Israel. And, and uh, may we not be like Balaam and just find some other way around it and bring in damnation to a people. But help us to be faithful to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You come as the Spirit leads. We'll be waiting. seated. We have a program and we're finished. Help me give out these Bibles to these guys. I haven't been here long enough to get the wireless mic. It's like, like Jay and Dr. Mike, so bear with me here. I mean, you know, you've got to start at the bottom. <laughs> well,
For those of you that are visiting today, my name is Cole Andrews. I'm the family minister here at First Baptist Church. I'm so happy that you are here to honor our graduates. Before we begin our program that is specifically for high school graduates, if you have received uh, an associate's degree, a bachelor's degree, or even a master's degree, either in December of 2021 or this past May, if you could just stand for a moment, we would love to honor you as well. Congratulations. Uh, at this time, I would like to go to the Lord in prayer as we bless this particular program. Dear Lord, we know that this is a special moment in life. Um, Lord, it is, uh, it is an honor to graduate uh, from various levels of college, but Lord, it is very unique to graduate from high school. So I pray that you would bless these students in this particular time as we honor them by way of honoring you. In your name we pray. selection of scripture from the book of Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 17. Therefore, if you have been kept in Christ, you were raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. For if you have died in your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immortality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since it is you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and un uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, who ha whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. 
Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him through God the Father. At this point, we are going to individually recognize our graduates. So graduates, when I call your name, if you will just slightly step forward, uh, they're going to receive a gift, a Bible and a book called the Different College Experience. Now, the Bibles are unique in the fact that they've been engraved with their names. Now, we did that as, as a kind gesture, but also to recognize that no one knows them quite like the Lord. And so we pray that as we have written their names on these Bibles, they will take these Bibles and write His Word upon their heart. Elizabeth Renee Dotson. Elizabeth Renee Dotson is, a daughter, is the daughter of Alex and Terry Dotson. Elizabeth is an Ocean Springs High School International Baccalaureate Diploma Program graduate. Elizabeth is the student body secretary, a member of the National Honor Society, and a former member of the Blue-Gray Pride Band's color guard for three years. Elizabeth will be attending the University of Mississippi this fall to participate in the Mississippi Excellence in Teaching program with an emphasis in English. Elizabeth Renee Dotson. Elizabeth Marie Fry. While at Ocean Springs High School, Elizabeth was a four-year member of the Blue-Gray Pride Color Guard, serving as captain her junior and senior year. Elizabeth was also an active member of the National Honor, Honor Society, Mu Alpha Theta, Junior Civiton, and Buddies for Life. Elizabeth has been awarded the Colbert Future Leadership Scholarship, the Freshman Academic Excellence Scholarship, and the Mississippi Excellence in Teaching Program Scholarship. In the fall, she plans to attend Mississippi State University and pursue a degree in elementary education. Elizabeth Marie Fry. A special shout out to Sam for being my lone uh, male buddy here. Samuel Paul Harris. Sam lettered in cross country and played alto saxophone in the marching and symphonic bands as well as serving in the church orchestra. He is an Eagle Scout, an honor vigil member of the Order of the Arrow, which is Scouting's National Honor Society. Sam will be traveling to Guatemala in July to serve with a team from the Baptist Medical Dental Mission International. In the fall, Sam will be attending Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama to pursue a degree in architecture. Next summer, Sam plans to join the Alabama Air National Guard. Samuel Paul Harris. Sheldon Lee Rivers. While in high school, Sheldon remained on the honor roll list all four years and has already completed nine college hours through taking dual credit classes in her junior and senior year. 
She was a member of the Ocean Springs baseball program through her service as a Diamond Girl her freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior year. Upon graduation, Sheldon will continue her education by attending Mississippi State University in the fall, where she will carry on her family's legacy of being a Mississippi State Bulldog. Sheldon Lee Rivers. Graduates, you may be seated. Oh, I'm in at the front, at the front here, sorry. <laughs> they, uh, they came in my office at 10, I've been gone for two weeks, and they came in my office at 10.15, and I gave them an overview of what we were going to do, so as you can tell, it didn't, wasn't that great of a presentation then, so hopefully I'm doing better now. At this time, we are going to uh, recognize our recipient of the Joseph F. and Cordelia Abbott Memorial Scholarship. So in a page on these booklets that you may have received as you came into the church, there's a blurb about uh, the importance of this memorial scholarship and how it came from um, Sue Abbott Verhoeven, uh, who was the daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Abbott, how it came from her family. Uh, it's a very interesting story. It's a very compelling story. I encourage you uh, to read it. Um, there was a panel that was formed in my absence to interview applicants um, and to discuss who might be the best recipient for this particular scholarship. And so I texted them uh, while I was in Louisville and I said, who, what do you guys think about uh, who you interviewed? And they said there could not have been a better recipient. So at this time, I would like for Dr. Mike to present uh, the Joseph F. and Cordelia Abbott Memorial Scholarship to Samuel Paul Harris. They were asking me in my office who got it, and I said, well, the one of four of you, so... What a special day it is today for these four graduates. They're now crossing a line for which they can never return. You can't go back to high school, and even though I have great confidence uh, that you're probably happy to move on and excited for what is next. So the question that begs asking is, well, what is next? Now, for some of you, uh, your life may seem like it is purposely and perfectly mapped out. For others, you may not even know what you're going to do this summer, and that's okay. The pressure to have it all together and figured out is about to increase upon each of your lives. All four of you are moving out and away for college. What's next, to borrow from the great movie Aladdin, is a whole new world. You will have important choices to make. What I'd like to do is challenge you uh, based off the lyrics to the song that you walked down the aisle to today. Now, the song, it was a piano uh, accompaniment. It was Dare You to Move by Switchfoot. It came out in the year 2000, so I'm not sure if you know it or not. It's a great song. But the lyrics to the bridge are actually in your booklet, in the very, the very back. And it reads... Maybe redemption has stories to tell. 
Maybe forgiveness is right where you fell. Where can you run to escape from yourself? Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? Salvation is here. So the first point I would like to make to you is that redemption can be your story to tell. Maybe you were saved. Maybe you were not. Your choices will need to be redeemed throughout the remainder of your life. And the good news is, is there's someone that can redeem you and your choices. That person is Christ. John 8 tells us that when he sets us free, we are free indeed. So maybe redemption can be your story to tell. Two, forgiveness can be the pillow that you lay your head on at night to rest. There are many ways to rest in this world. Dr. Mike briefly touched on some of them. There are going to be people that call for your attention, that call for your devotion, and it's not going to give you the rest that you desire. You know, if I could give you a detailed story of my life, it would be that, that while I was in college, I chose some bad choices, and I was not able to find the rest that I desired until Christ received me. Now, you will have to forgive others on this journey. You'll have to forgive yourself. Yet, to rest well, you must take rest and trust that Christ daily offers you forgiveness. You know, the psalmist in chapter 103 tells us that he has not dealt with us according to our iniquities. And he has removed our sins as far as east is from the west. So find rest in Christ. Three, it is guaranteed over the next coming years that you will be tempted to run. You'll be tempted to run from things and towards others. You'll be tempted to run from your family. You'll be tempted to run from yourself. You'll be tempted to run from responsibility. And ultimately, you'll be tempted to run from God. So in the coming years, you have to face that reality. Things are going to pressure you, but the fact is you can always run to God. Like the prodigal son in Luke 15, I pray that you will come to the realization of just how much you need Jesus. And if you're going to run, you might as well run towards him. One thing that I feel like that we do well in this church is that at we address that at times in this life, you will feel lost, not in the sense of salvation, but in the sense of direction. You might be in a creek or up a creek without a paddle, I think that's the saying, or in the woods without a compass, or you may just not have hope at all. It's going to happen. Times will be dark. There will be dark nights of the soul, but joy always comes in the morning. So what's next is a challenge and an opportunity to flourish. So I charge you to move. In fact, I, I dare you to move. I dare you to move towards Christ as the world runs from him. I dare you to seek forgiveness and redemption while the world seeks itself. And I dare you to run with all that you have towards the throne of God so that in him all your dreams, your hopes, your loves, and your very life will be found in Him and in Him alone. So graduates, well done. Trust the Lord, lean on the local church, and make the most of this life that God has given you. We will always be here for you. No matter how far you may physically be away from us, we are just a phone call, a text message, or an email away. 
So at this time, I would ask that the seniors take a stand. So members and visitors of First Baptist Church uh, of Ocean Springs, I now present to you the graduating class 2022. This is Cole Andrews, the family minister here at First Baptist Church Ocean Springs. I want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into our podcasts and sermons today. We surely hope you have been blessed by the Word of God. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com, to learn more about our church. We sure would love to see you in church on Sunday. May God bless you.